You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is increasingly common in clinical practice and carries with it a serious social and economic burden. Is a causative traumatic event necessary for the development of PTSD? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist and your host, and with me today is Dr. J. Alexander Bodkin. Dr. Bodkin is Chief of the Clinical Psychopharmacology Research Program at the McLean Hospital and Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Bodkin divides his time between research and clinical psychopharmacology, teaching psychiatry residents and medical students, and a private consulting practice. He has published extensively in a variety of areas in psychiatric therapeutics and diagnosis, Welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me. Dr. Bakken, could you quickly review the elements of post-traumatic stress disorder for our listeners? Post-traumatic stress disorder is relatively unique in the diagnostic nosology, in the diagnostic system that is current in Western psychiatry, which takes the lead from American psychiatry as a rule. Uh, And what is unique about it is that the etiology or the cause of this condition is actually assumed in the diagnosis itself. This is a somewhat complex issue, which I may not really go into in any depth. With that exception, the major psychiatric disorders are situations where people present with a set of symptoms and you try to put it together into a a characteristic uh, syndrome and give it a diagnosis. But in PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, you must begin with the cause before you can consider the symptoms. So to consider the diagnosis of PTSD, you must be presented with a situation where a person's been exposed to a major psychic trauma. And there is naturally disagreement and controversy between people about what qualifies as a major psychiatric trauma. But approximately, it is something that involves being confronted with a threat to life or serious injury for you or someone or people close to you. And this must be experienced by the patient, horrifying or terrifying or overwhelming, or, you know, in in some way, it needs to be a a devastating experience. If that has happened to you at some time in your life, and best evidence is that it happens to an awfully large percentage of people at some point in life, but if this has happened to you at some time, and then subsequent to that, you develop symptoms of essentially depression and anxiety, you are considered for the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. There are three categories of symptoms of depression and anxiety which you have to have some features of each of. The first one, if you've been traumatized, at some point, it doesn't have to have been recent, but it may have been. First, you need to be intruded upon by upsetting recollections or dreams, either about the traumatic thing that happened to you, or about something that could be associated in some way with the traumatic thing. You need to be uncomfortable around things that remind you of the traumatic thing. You know, let's say you're in a bad car accident, you see a news program, and they mention tragic accident, and you get quite upset. That would be an example of anxious, distressed response. That would be criterion B, and that is that the traumatic event is persistently re-experienced in some way. Then there is another category of symptom. Actually, there are two more categories of symptom. Category C, 
or criterion C is that a person comes to avoid thinking about the thing that happened to them or that bothers them, avoiding people, places, or things that remind them of this thing, or in fact, simply stop having strong emotions of any kind. This is called persistent avoidance of stimuli associated with the trauma and numbing of general responsiveness not, that was not present before the trauma. So something bad happens to you at some later time. What is happening now is that you are avoiding social situations where that mortifying event happened, or you are no longer really able to have strong feelings for people in your life who you formerly had strong feelings for, or your emotions are generally narrowed or constricted, or the future looks to you rather hopeless. You're no longer anticipating a happy life ahead. All of these fairly generic symptoms come under the, the heading of avoidance of stimuli and numbing of responsiveness. And then finally, if you've got B and you've got C after the trauma at some remove, then there is the, um, the, the, the third and final criterion, D, of persistent symptoms of increased arousal. This is anxious arousal. So if there is difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, if there's short temper or anger outbursts, if you are always on edge and looking out for trouble, you're hypervigilant or you're easily startled, or if you can't concentrate your mind, again, you will note that these are fairly generic symptoms in people who have mood and anxiety disorders, but you need to have at least two. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. J. Alexander Bodkin, the chief of the Clinical Psychopharmacology Research Program at the McLean Hospital. We are discussing his latest work in post-traumatic stress disorder. Dr. Bodkin, you recently published a kind of provocative paper in the Journal of Anxiety Disorders. Can you tell us about that work? I decided to explore the question of whether these fairly generic symptoms that I just listed in, in painful detail may occur in the same cluster in people who have not been traumatized, because we certainly see all of these symptoms in people with a variety of mood and anxiety disorders, like generalized anxiety disorder and depressive disorder and panic disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder and you name it disorder. So I came up with a protocol in which I explored the rates of post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms in people whether they were traumatized or not. And I have a steady pretty steady flow of patients coming through my lab because I study new antidepressants and new anxiolytic drugs. And this was actually some years ago that we started it. We took over 100 consecutive admissions into our study, into our studies, multiple studies of treatments for depression as it happened. As part of our evaluation, you know, we go through all the major psychiatric disorders, but normally when you come to post-traumatic stress disorder and you inquire if someone's been traumatized, if they say they have, you then explore post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. And if they say, nope, they've been lucky, they haven't been traumatized, you skip out. That is a universal rule. But we didn't skip out. We went through the symptoms anyway with everybody. So we had about 100 patients of whom some had been traumatized because, you know, trauma happens at a pretty high rate in this life. And people who were fortunate enough never to have been traumatized. And we calculated the rates at which the two different groups of people who are presenting with depressive complaints met criteria for PTSD, regardless of whether they've been traumatized. And we found that of the people who had met with trauma of a significant kind, which was objectively measured by blind raters, 78% of them who presented for treatment of depressive symptoms met criteria for PTSD. That's reasonable and not terribly surprising. 
But interestingly, among those lucky patients who did not meet criteria for having been traumatized in any significant way, we also encountered a rate of 78% of them who met all the other criteria for PTSD. What we had more or less expected was that there would be some incidence of PTSD in this population, even among people who hadn't been traumatized. What we hadn't anticipated was that there would be an equal incidence, an exactly identical incidence of PTSD in people who, by reasonably objective measures, had been lucky enough never to have been traumatized in a significant way. So the finding throws into question what the relationship of the assumed causal event, the trauma that makes post-traumatic stress disorder post-traumatic, may not have a role at all. It may be inaptly named. It sounds like post-traumatic stress disorder needs to be called something else. No, it could just be called stress disorder, and you'd, you'd really have it, because these people certainly are stressed out, upset, in need of help, uh, without question, as ill as if they had been traumatized, but other things are bothering them. So rather than a near-death experience, they're worrying about the day when they themselves will die. Or rather than losing a child to a tragedy, they worry about the day when their parents will die of old age. These can take the same role of intrusive, upsetting thoughts about which patients have bad dreams. They try to avoid things that remind them of them, even though they're not traumas because they haven't happened. They're things that might happen that concern them, that occupy their mind when they're not doing well, but they're scarcely to be considered post-traumatic. How might your work affect what we do in the clinic every day? Well, for those of us who treat a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder patients, and there are many of us who do, where the focus is on addressing the trauma, this may be less than entirely fruitful. It might be fruitful accidentally, whether it's ideologically significant or not. I mean, who knows? But an awful lot of specific psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress disorder becomes potentially irrelevant, relatively irrelevant, other than its nonspecific supportive features, if the trauma has nothing to do with the illness that they're suffering from, except that they worry about the trauma, or that they've been helped to worry about the trauma by focusing their attention on it when really it's, you know, they have the illness for other reasons. Who knows what they are? But it would suggest that we should reconsider our energetic focus on the putative traumatic cause of illness in people whom we diagnose with post-traumatic stress disorder. Should we look for stress disorder-type symptoms in people that have ordinary depression? Well, we do anyway. I mean, interestingly, the the symptoms in post-traumatic stress disorder, with very, very few exceptions, occur in other as diagnostic criteria for other conditions also. The only ones that don't really are uh, nightmares, which it happens that no other illness has laid claim to, but they occur in All mental illnesses, people who are going through tough times psychiatrically are very likely to have bad dreams, whether what they have is schizophrenia or bipolar illness or generalized anxiety disorder. So that's, you know, but that is a criterion which is unique to PTSD. And the other thing is the um, so-called flashbacks, which are vivid, intense rememberings of something that bothered you. But you find that in people with obsessive compulsive disorder who are having intense, vivid experiences of things that may never have happened. So we see these in other conditions anyway. So I think that we are already quite sensitive to these symptoms. These are fairly generic symptoms. They are somewhat nonspecific. 
They occur in mood and anxiety disorders. They also can be found in psychotic disorders. They are signs of mental illness, and they are responsive to treatment, and we better be tuned into them. But I don't think that we need to be more aware of PTSD symptoms because we are already quite aware of these in our treatment of all major psychiatric illnesses. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. J. Alexander Bodkin. We have been discussing post-traumatic stress disorder, which maybe should be renamed stress disorder because after Dr. Botkin's work, it's not clear that trauma is really necessary for the diagnosis. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you again soon.